Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Phil Lawler. Phil is the editor of Catholic World News. He's the author of almost a dozen books on political and religious topics, and his works have appeared in over 100 newspapers around the U.S. and abroad. Phil, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You know, I saw your recent article called Pelosi and the Archbishops, S in parentheses, and kind of what's next, right? I think everybody's heard, you know, about Archbishop Cordeleone um, denying communion to Pelosi because of her extreme abortion views. But, you know, you had mentioned in, and I think it's even in the article, but I know you had mentioned it before, you had predicted that a, a bold bishop would actually have to do something like this with a Catholic politician. Um, did you think that it would be Archbishop Corleone? It had to be somebody with a Pelosi or a Biden or something. Was that kind of, was he in your thinking at that point? Yeah, he sure was, because uh, he had written, in fact, I think that you're referring to a piece that I wrote some months ago, and I was writing it in response to the pastoral letter that Archbishop Cordeleone had written about proper reception of the Eucharist, and he referred specifically to the question of public figures who support abortion. And I thought this was uh, pretty clearly a warning shot for the speaker, uh, one of several, and uh, I thought that he was, well, I know enough of him to know that he does have the courage to take this stand, which does take a lot of courage, because he, I'm sure he knew when he issued that notification that he was going to be vilified and he's going to be a target of a lot of hate. Well, he definitely smacked the hornet's nest. But, you know, when you read his letter, he's been on interviews since he's done this. You know, it wasn't something that he did rash. I mean, he could have done it a long time ago, actually. But he did spend time. He had to have. He wanted to have his conscience clear. I know he consulted with other bishops, you know, as he was going through the process. This really was a pastoral move because he really worries about the soul of Pelosi, along with the scandal it brings to the church, doesn't he? Absolutely, and that's an important point to bring out because uh, most people won't read the whole notification. They won't read the pastoral letter, and of course, we don't have access to the messages that he sent to Pelosi over the uh, last many months. But uh, yes, he he did everything he could to avoid this. And if you read the notification, just the notification itself, which is a disciplinary act, but the way it's phrased, there's no. No way you can fail to notice how much he cares, how much he uh, didn't want to do this, and how much he wanted to bring her around rather than rather than to impose some sort of punishment. And it really is an opportunity for really all of us, right? Because we've seen, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, it's not your job, right? The editorial board for the San Francisco paper right. asking for asking for Pope Francis to basically fire them and, you know, send them out to pasture. It really does give us an opportunity for those people who have no idea about the Eucharist, how to, how to talk about the importance, how it's kind of the, the central focus of our faith and what happens when we receive it unworthily, because we hear priests say it all the time at weddings and different events where people who are non-Catholic come about saying, look, 
this is for the Catholic faithful, but if you'd like to come up for a blessing, right? It really is an opportunity here, isn't it? Oh, for sure. It's an opportunity to, to teach about the Eucharist. Also, by the way, to teach about the role of the bishop as, yes. the, as the, the pastor of the diocese. And ultimately, it falls on his shoulders to protect the integrity of the sacraments. But it's, it's not an abstract thing. It's you're protecting the integrity of the sacraments, but you're also trying to protect the person, uh, in this case, from herself. Because if you are receiving the Eucharist unworthily, you're just heaping condemnation on yourself. Yeah, I mean, St. Paul warns us very clearly about that. And if we do care about people, and I'm sure you probably have, I know I have, with family members or those close to us, who aren't in a state of grace or living in a state of mortal sin, right? We, we tell them don't go receive communion. Now we can't forbid them, but we tell them, look, this is because I love you. And this is because of we, I'm worried about your soul. I'm not worried about, you know, Jesus can take care of himself, but this is about bringing condemnation upon yourself. And uh, you know, it's something we all should be doing really, if we truly love those around us, isn't it? It is, and and should be doing it, examining our own conscience, of course, before yes. we approach the Eucharist. But and then there's the added element here that if you have a, a well-known figure who is well known for, um, among other things, uh, dismissing the teaching of the Church on an important issue like this, then there's the element of scandal as well, and if. If this continues, then the message, what, you know, what sort of message is it for the faithful? The people in the pews, you see someone who's completely at odds with what the Church teaches on the sanctity of life, and, and still claiming to be a good Catholic, there has to be some pushback there. Well, and, you know, we have President Biden, right, a, per, a perfect example of of what's been going on, and you have, you know, our Cardinal Gregory, who really says, I'm not going to withhold the Eucharist from anybody, right? There is, there, you know, they even sent a mistaken email to the press where we're going to ignore all, you know, all requests for interviews. And so we really do, you know, your book, The Smoke of Satan, right? Even within the church, right? The lack of clarity, the lack of courage to do the right thing, to come up with a hundred reasons why, brings scandal on top of scandal, doesn't it? I think it does. And I'll I'll go further. I think in this case, it's a completely untenable position because obviously this has uh, not happened a lot in this country. It has happened before, but not in such a high profile case where uh, a bishop, um, Bishop Paprocki has, and for that matter, a while earlier, uh, Bishop Bruskowitz had told people that they should not receive communion. Uh, But uh, this different bishops have obviously taken different positions over the year and cardinal gregory is one of the many who said he doesn't want to basically he doesn't want to get involved in a fight about this but i think in this case it becomes an untenable position because he hasn't been asked to make the call here he's not nancy pelosi's bishop uh, Archbishop Cordelioni is the speaker's bishop, and he is her pastor, and he has made this determination. So the question now is not whether Cardinal Gregory will make a determination. The determination has been made. The question is whether he will honor 
uh, the determination that's made by her pastor. And he hasn't spoken publicly about it. You just have that email that accidentally got out from the the Washington Archdiocese. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it seems that the answer is no, he will not honor uh, Archbishop Cordelioni's notification. And as I say, I think that's an untenable position because, as I see it, there's only two possibilities. One is Archbishop Cordelioni is right and she shouldn't receive communion, in which case, of course, she shouldn't receive communion anywhere. The other is that he's wrong. And if he's wrong, then there's an injustice that's undone to her. And if I were a bishop in another diocese, I would speak out about that injustice. But what I don't see as tenable is to say, well, I guess Archbishop Cordelioni is okay doing that, but I'm not going to do it. it. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. seem to me logically tenable position to hold. Well, it isn't, because you're right. Either it's right or it's wrong, right? There really is no gray area in this. And unfortunately, we live within a church where bishops have lived in the gray area so long, I think they've gotten comfortable, right? I mean, you've written extensively about the priest abuse scandal and things going on. You would think at some point they'd say, you know what, I need to start taking calcium tablets to get a backbone because I got to leave this block because I got to be worried about their salvation, not worried about making friends and not and worried about making enemies, Right. And and here, this is not a question of policy that can differ from diocese to diocese. It's not like, you know, can you take a right turn on a red light? I guess, I don't know if that's that's (laughs) different from state to state still. Uh, But but it's, it's not like that. Here we have a soul that we're talking about, an individual, well, for one thing, the individual soul of the Speaker of the House, but also we're talking about public scandal. And you can't say that that differs from place to place. It's the same. Yeah, the Lord doesn't say, well, you live on the West Coast, so your standards are different. <laughs> hey, right? it's, 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 it's the souls of the bishops at line, too, on the line, too. I mean, at some point, imagine standing before the Lord as a bishop, archbishop, cardinal, whatever you are, and you say, yeah, I didn't I didn't really want to make too many enemies down there. I just, I just kind of wanted to you know, be with my sheep and have all my sheep like me. I can't imagine that. That is is something that occurs to me. I understand the story is that when uh, Pope Pius the 10th was elected, he wept because he, he said, all of the souls of the world are now on my conscience. (laughs) And And that's that's true. It is. That's the kind of pope I want. You know, that's the kind of bishop I want. Someone who's worried that that he will have to answer for my spiritual well-being. Well, and you know, the Vatican's silent on it too. And I think the Pope's kind of, you know, again in his roundabout way, made it sound like he doesn't want to punish politicians, although he doesn't usually come out and say things objectively, or you know, uh, uh, to the point where people understand what's going on. But we have. You know, we have a Vatican that that is just as squirrely as the USCCB when it comes to really focusing on people's salvation. Right, they're at the World Economic Forum, from what I understand. Right, nothing about Zen about what's going on in Hong Kong, and not to get too far afield, but they feel more comfortable attacking, you know, the traditional Latin Mass and and the faithful that want to go there, calling them rigid, than they do those that 
abuse and scandalize the church by living, you know, an immoral life. Well, yes, but that brings me back to something that I alluded to earlier, which is I think this is a teaching moment for us all Mm -hmm. to get a better appreciation of what the role is of a bishop in his diocese. Uh, A bishop is not like a branch manager for the Vatican. Uh, You know, Archbishop Cuadrillone is in charge of the San Francisco diocese, archdiocese. Pope Francis isn't. Right. Uh, and it, it's not as if he is carrying out policies set by Pope Francis. He is the successor to the, the apostle who has been given the mission of looking over the pastoral needs of the people in San Francisco. So it, to the same point, if there's confusion coming out of Rome, the bishop needs to clarify that confusion. And I think we're at a time in the history of the church, particularly in this country, where we're going to have to get a better appreciation for the role of the bishops in standing up for their people uh, and setting policies for their people. And in that respect, I think it's not a bad thing that Pope Francis seems to want to let the American bishops handle this by themselves. Well, and hopefully they do. And I think, you know, that's the other part of your article, kind of what's next, right? Where where do we go from here? Because the heat is only going to be turned up more on the bishop who's responsible for Biden and any other politician that you know continues to push these extreme and you know it's marriage. I mean, there's a lot of issues, but we're talking about abortion today. What are they going to do? I mean, what do you foresee as the heat gets turned up on this pot happening? I think a lot's going to happen. You know, I live in Massachusetts where pretty much every prominent politician is 100% pro-abortion. So we're going to see the heat turned up here. And it will be turned up a lot higher if the leaked decision from the Supreme Court comes out in something Mm -hmm. like the form that we saw. Yeah. Because the abortion issue is going to be extremely contentious. And whether or not the bishops take strong stands, you know that the Catholic Church will be target number one for a zealot abortion activist. So, you know, at some point, um, as the late Midge Dector said, you need to join the side you're on. Yeah, I mean, you know, sitting on the fence is very uncomfortable. Um, and either you're either you're in or you're out. And, you know, we hear about, you know, lukewarm Catholics, whatever. But at some point, people need to take a stand. Are are you for the teachings of the church? Are you against the teachings of the church? Because there's a lot of people sitting and watching. Now, that doesn't give anybody an excuse not to follow more your moral, the moral compass of the church. But people are watching and they have to know that, you know, what they do or don't do will speak volumes. They do. And, you know, another another way to look at this, the American bishops are now putting together a campaign to to enhance public understanding among the faithful, but in the public at large of the Eucharist and reverence for the Eucharist. You can't do that at the same time that you're saying 
we aren't going to set any standards for who receives the Eucharist. You can't say that this is the most awesome gift that we are given and at the same time say, we don't care who who gets the gift. Or you don't have to right. be appreciative of the gift. It's it's you know it's self self denying sort of approach. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, how, how do you promote the 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 central figure, the Eucharist of our faith, and then water it down at the same time so that it's just you know, something that anybody can partake in when they say amen. And, you know, I believe basically in the, all the teachings of the church, you know, and eh, not, not that big a deal. And that's really what's being said if nothing happens. But I agree. I mean, things are going to get heated up. Dobbs, the Dobbs really is going to come at any time. And we've already had like groups threaten, you know, summers of rage. And we've seen small indications at different locations. To be Catholic, right, at some point we're going to have to be Catholic out in the world like we've been called to be and not hide it and pretend that nothing's going on, right? It's going to, they're going to force people out of the darkness, I guess I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I think you, you do take sides. And at some point you maybe wake up and say, look, if they're going to hate us anyway, uh, there's not all that much reason for us to try to curry favor with them. And there is no reason to curry favor with the abortion industry. They will be coming at us. Right. And there's too much money. There's too much money at play for them to just not let things go. And I think, you know, in the end, if there wasn't that kind of money flowing, you want you you wonder, you know, what is somebody's morality worth? Uh, You know, how much campaign contributions do you have to get for that? Um, You know, but one of the one of the arguments when you see these politicians is they say, you know, you're weaponizing the Eucharist, you're making it a political football. But aren't we isn't it really true that, you know, the morality of the church has been hijacked politically? So they just use that for cover. Uh, yes, I'd go a little further than that. I think that it's typical of uh, the liberal ideology to charge other people with doing what you're doing. You know, yes. You, you, you weaponize the Eucharist and then you accuse me of doing it. Uh, they weaponize the Eucharist by you know, Nancy Pelosi, President Biden, both of them uh, are very outspoken about their Catholicism. And will even use their Catholicism as a backhanded, um, a backhanded justification for supporting abortion. And so they're the ones that weaponize this. And you know, Archbishop Cordelioni did he did really did his homework before issuing this. He didn't issue it right before an election. He didn't issue it right after a Supreme Court decision. It wasn't politically motivated in that sense at all, although obviously it's a political issue. There's no getting away from that. But, you know, if you say that we're weaponizing the Eucharist, what you're really saying is that we can't have any standards in our moral discourse that run counter to uh, popular political opinions. Yeah, I mean, it just furthers the, the relativism, right? Because, well, that's their conscience, even though if it's not a well-formed conscience. And it just gives you, you can become a scapegoat or use 
this as an excuse not to do what you're supposed to. I saw an interview with uh, Bishop Paprocki where he goes, look, this isn't Democrat Republican. He goes, there are Republicans. And he mentioned Markowski and Collins and said, look, they, they are abortion supporters and they shouldn't be treated any differently if if they go to the lengths that, that Pelosi did. So it's really not a Republican Democrat, even though that's really what they're trying to make it. Right. And then there's the other the red herring that's thrown in that if you're going to do this, if you take this sort of disciplinary action against people who support abortion, you have to do the same with people who support the death penalty. It, yeah. It's not the same issue, for one thing, because church teaching on the death penalty has been consistent over the centuries until the last few years. Right. Uh, and and second, because even if you are entirely against the death penalty, it's not the same as abortion. As the late Henry Hyde said, you show me an unborn child who has been convicted of a capital crime by a jury of his peers. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and right is right. It's always right. And to, to, they, to water down the issue is really, you know, part of the game plan. And, you know, now we have, you know, with that terrible tragedy in Uvalde where we, you know, now if you're pro-life, you can't be pro-gun. Right? It's, it's really trying to take the focus off the abortion issue and water it down. And we have to make sure that we keep it focused on there and not get off on these tangential conversations. Right. Exactly, because this is a clear-cut case. We don't know how to stop school shootings. We don't know how to feed the poor. Well, I suppose we do, but we don't know the best way to cure poverty. Right. Uh, What we do know is that it's wrong to kill an innocent human being, and that's what's happening here. Right, and it's happening at you know at, a, at such a large rate, right? You know, sixty plus million killed since Roe versus Wade. Um, we, we need, we can't take our eye off off the ball and let the distractions get in our way because we have to be able to articulate this and speak about it. And this is where the bishops really need to lead because I think if more bishops went through what. Archbishop Corleone has done, sent out the letter, to go on the shows and explain things. You're, at your point to what is the role of a, a bishop becomes more clear, but also what is the thought process and what does a good, well-formed conscience look like, right? Absolutely. And think about this. It's something that I try to bring up in my coverage here. What would have happened if bishops started issuing this kind of notification 40 years ago? At that time, virtually every Catholic politician was at least on paper pro-life. And then you started to see the the flaking away from the pro-life positions. What would have happened if in 1982 a bishop had told some prominent politician, you know, you're, you're endangering your soul and I don't think you should receive communion anymore? Would it have been possible to stem the tide then? You have to wonder. I mean, you have children. I have children. Imagine, you know, they do, they're do they doing these egregious acts and you wait until they're, you know, getting ready to go off to college before you correct them. You let it go on for 10, 15 years. And we think one talk and they're going to go, oh, dad, thanks for shedding the light. I'm going to change everything. Right. I mean, it really is. Sometimes it's like closing the barn door after the animals have escaped. And I'm better late than never, 
geez, to, to nip things early. We Again, we saw it with the pre-scandal and everything. Boy, if you address these things early, they don't become the monsters later on. Right. And you talk to people. You don't just issue statements. And right. you, you talk a lot. You remonstrate with people. You plead with them. But ultimately, with your children, with, uh, with the people in your parish, ultimately, you have to leave open the possibility of disciplinary action. And, you know, there's another thing. Just let's recognize that the church can, for the good of souls, exercise disciplinary action on any member of the faithful. That's probably a good thing to keep in mind. Well, I, I grew up with the, the threat of corporal punishment if I didn't do things the right way, as much as I didn't like it. It kept me from doing a lot of things that otherwise I probably would have done. So repercussions, right? Re, you know, there's an equal and opposite reaction to everything. <laughs> we did. And my dad reminds me that on a regular basis. And I think, you know, we live in a culture that nobody wants to be told no. Everybody wants to be coddled. And we've we've gotten to this point now that if you look at somebody cross-eyed, they have a fit. So we we've not only do we need to wait in it, but we're waiting in it in a time that it's way more difficult than it would have been 30, 20 years ago. Yeah, to recognize the reality of sin. And as you say, sin has consequences, and the consequences can be of, of grave sin, are grave consequences. And we need to be reminded of that, and it's, it's just for our spiritual health, and for that matter, our emotional and mental health as well, to recognize the con- consequences of what we do. Recognize that going to church and receiving communion is not just something that we do to feel better, it's something with profound consequences. Our moral souls are, 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 you know, in the end, everything, right? If that's, you know, where, where we go after our judgment is something everybody should be focused on and everybody's goal should be in heaven. And I think what Archbishop Corleone did is in a very loving way, tell people, look, your soul is critically important and I care about it. So I, I applaud him for doing it. I applaud him for the bishops that have come out and have supported him. Um, yeah. I wish more had, and I wish more will, but in the end, we're kind of where we are, and I, I appreciate you coming on. How can people follow what you're doing? Well, the simplest way is to log on to catholicculture.org, and I'm publishing, posting things there two or three times a week, as well as the daily news service. Well, and I highly recommend people going on there, because I do follow your stuff. I have read your books. Um, really good and insightful stuff. And I really appreciate your concern for people's salvation because it comes out in your writing. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.